Another thing would be like return customer rate, which is like hilarious because you think like the they buy this wallet, it literally lasts forever, generations. Like they're not buying another wallet. So yeah. I got to cross sell, you know, or like, or come up with new products, which is Kyle's like, that's his wheelhouse. Um, that's why we work well together. He comes out with new products. I do all the nerdy stuff and we, we go. Hey, Modern Commerce, welcome back. We've got another hot interview for you today. We're continuing on with our How to Build a Brand series. John's been really grabbing us some great interviews with some great players in all of e-commerce, all over the place, all different kinds of brands. Um, and today is no exception. John, how are you doing? And who do you have for us today? I'm doing good, Casey. Thank you for asking. Today, I'm excited about our guest. Um, Super cool guy. We've gotten to talk, gotten to know him a little bit. Um, building a, a really cool vertically integrated brand. Today we have Tim Aton of Range Leather based out of Wyoming. You know, represent representing the what what's Wyoming? Cowboy State, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Half a million, you know. You know, the yeah. size of half of Denver at best. There might be more cows. Than, there might be more cows than people in Wyoming. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, like definitely. like four to one. Like yeah, antelope too. Yeah, yeah, a lot more sure. cows. Um, but yeah, range leather. Tim, give us a little bit of background on you. Give us a little bit of background on the on the brand. Yeah. So um, yeah, kind of interesting. Basically, range started in 2014. I'm not the founder. I'm an I'm an ops guy. that was brought in later, but. Um, my buddy Kyle, he started the brand in 2014, really just like as a hobby pretty much. And then, um, and was doing, he made a wallet, he made a few other things. He had a, a previous brand that he wanted to do a leather guitar strap for actually. Um, but the, the leather products kind of caught hold and, um, he started doing like local craft shows and stuff. He happened to be living in the same town as I was, and I was in kind of the the startup scene uh, that was in Spokane, Washington on the east side. Uh, so we met and taught shop and I actually helped him sew the first few wallets. He ran a Kickstarter um, a little bit after that and just, and then he moved back to Laramie here. Uh, I stayed in Spokane and so our, our paths kind of went separate ways. Uh, we stayed in touch. He grew range slowly out of his house um just yeah just kind of the same thing like making leather stuff um and going to going to craft fairs and improving the product and um and then i went into digital marketing so i joined an agency in spokane uh then went from there to homestead studio which some of you may know had a great time there went freelance for a little bit and then um at the, at the same time range was growing like crazy so so much so that he kyle ended up um buying a building downtown laramie and moving kind of the, the small team at the time in there and uh a little bit after that he called me up and said hey i don't know if you're if you're how you're feeling about the agency side of things but if you ever wanted to flip to the brand side uh, i think it'd be really rad if you came and helped me run this leather brand so uh long story short here i am and uh, run the brand now so yeah it's been really fun so you moved from spokane washington were you mm -hmm. born and raised in spokane no I, no actually so i spent my adult life in spokane so 
Uh, I definitely identify with the Pacific Northwest, but I actually grew up in Laguna Beach um, in SoCal. So that's where I was from. And then moved to Spokane and then now, and then picked up, you know, the wife and kids and <laughs> moved all the way down to small there town in Wyoming. Down. Yeah. Where you got a house for $200. <laughs> yep. Got my house, got my yeah. Jeep Wrangler oh, and it's all yeah. I need. Truck. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, Fun, fun fact, Casey and I are born and raised in Coeur d'Alene, which is right next door to Spokane. And, uh, yeah, super sick place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so re represent the PNW here. Casey, you are an absolute beast right now. You're turning out so many creatives across multiple brands. What is it that is so hard about producing such a high volume of creatives? Why can't a lot, why can't more brands do it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say if you're doing it the right way, of course, um, you should be always analyzing your your past ads, you know, the things you've already turned out, your most recent uh, test group that you've put out. Um, and that should inform your next round of creation, not just go all willy nilly about it. So I would say that's why it's difficult to speed up that process is because it's always kind of a two pronged approach of, of analyzing and creation, really. So how is it that you are able to do that across like 12 to 15 accounts? Yeah, I mean, it does get pretty wild, but honestly, when I use pencil, it's not as bad. Uh, pencil is a tool that I use. It, it's got AI that'll help determine what my best ads are. It'll even break it down into the best elements of those ads. And in that platform, it'll automatically generate new ads for me to launch. And I can push them live straight from the platform uh, into Facebook, IG. Um, it also works great for other platforms as well, like TikTok, whatever you're on, really. If you sound like me and you're always in the weeds with your creatives, you need, you need a little bit more analytics. Uh, you just need some help with new creation. You need things to be sped up a little bit. Um, you know, use our promo code. Go to trypencil.com. Use promo code modcom15. You'll save 15% off on any paid plan. You sure can start with a free plan, John. I mean, hey, I'll recommend it. Go ahead and try it for free. But once you do, we're pretty confident you're going to want to switch to a paid plan anyway. So don't forget you can use that promo code modcom15 at trypencil.com. One more time, that's trypencil.com, modcom15. Save 15% off any paid plan they have there. And uh, back to the show. So appreciate the background on range. So one thing that I actually think is a huge highlight of range and, and something we're trying to to talk about on this podcast a little bit more as we as we talk about how do you actually build brands, right? What are those difference makers, right? Because um, at the core, you guys sell, you know, nothing, I shouldn't say nothing special, but their hats, their wallets, you didn't invent any of the products, right? Like mm -hmm. their hats, their wallets, their everyday carry type stuff. What are those moats that range has? Um, one of them is vertical integration, right? Like you aren't sourcing products, you are sourcing materials. Yeah. Yeah, so we we craft everything here. Like I'm at the building right now where we have like uh, we have like eight leather crafters and then another eight or so hat team. And so yeah, we we bring in the uh, the leather and the hardware, and then it, it ends up. And we also have all the stock and pick pack ship here. So we we don't have a three PL or anything as well, which has pros and cons in itself. But uh, but yeah, we have it all here. And it's, it's more of a management on the material side than it is on the, like, you know, we have less of those gaps that we have to manage because it's all right here in the building for sure. Right. Yeah. And, and, and what, like some people, well, why is vertical integration a moat? Um, a couple things that I'll call out and, and I don't have 
a lot of experience with vertical integration. So you have obviously more since you're the CEO of a vertically integrated company. Um, but there's a couple that I'll call out that I think maybe aren't so like, you know, or maybe are obvious, but are like, hey, you know, when you're not a vertically integrated e-com brand, you don't think about this. Number one is typically your, your margins, your product gross margins are probably far better than anyone who could sell a competitor product or a similar kind of product or another wallet that, you know, might appeal to the same audience. Um, you probably have better gross margins on your product than, than they do if they're sourcing product. Um, number two is um, the optimization. And this is like as a marketer, and, and we were talking about this a little bit off, off, uh, off camera, like, you know, uh, as a marketer, it's really cool to see that, like, not only can I optimize my ad campaigns, like if I can make my like crafters this much more efficient, like I actually shave this much off my cost of goods. So, so you can optimize your cost per acquisition, your pricing of your products, and the actual cost of goods sold on your products, which is, it's harder to optimize when you're sourcing products. I mean, at scale, you know, you can you can uh, negotiate supplier terms and stuff like that, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, other advantages that you have, or I mean, you can speak more to those if there's some stuff I didn't touch on, but you know, any other things that you want to call out about being vertically integrated that really kind of makes it a moat? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest one is that, is that one of like, especially as a marketer, having the marketing side background is the unlock of the other levers. Like you already have, you know, as a marketer, I'm used to having all the front end levers of like the ads, the creative, the audiences, the retention, emails, all that stuff. Um, and site and like that whole front end. Um, but what's nice about being here and being vertically integrated is is the whole back half too, and being able to to earn the same, if not better, um, yield from doing things like behind the scenes like that, and just the the amount of like the the level of deepness that you can get with uh, like I know the margin on every product. And so when I'm doing the, the buying on the media side, it's like, I can kind of play with those numbers as I see, and even going further knowing like, oh, I know I have, you know, X uh, square feet of, you know, or X amount of hides of that leather. So we could scale into that if we needed to, and then be able to use that to be like, well, you know, we have that much leather. I'm going to take a cut on the margin side, give myself a little more CPA to work with and buy off of that. Like there's just a, few, a lot more levers and aspects that I have control of that. It's not like, well, this is just the number I was given. I got to like buy to that. And, um, but that's, you know, coming from my kind of marketing angle. And then, uh, and then, yeah, the margins play a big part of that. And for us, we probably could have better margins, but we stick to like the, the quality really high quality materials so that's kind of what um you know we can and we can play with where we play with the cost more is the product development side so like yeah. how can we use a rivet instead of hand stitching this or stuff like that getting creative right. on that front well, well and, and i mean and i should say and i don't mean to cheapen the product or, or anything like that by saying your margins are, are way better than competitive products. Totally. I'll, I'll say you know uh probably better than competitor products that would try and use similar materials right yeah yeah um, and we don't i mean we don't have to like if we if we did decide to go that route we would have way better margins so your your uh theory is 100 percent right i think and we've just as a brand chosen to sacrifice some margin for the materials we've chosen but for like the audience here 
if they're like, they could totally lean the other direction and go for uh, cost saving materials in the front end. And that will buy a lot more margin. And if you can focus on that, that's as big of a win as, you know, finding the next UGC that works or whatever um, on yeah. the front end. Yeah, no, I, it, it's an interesting thought to essentially say like, okay, what do I have material wise, you know, a lot of or something like that? Or, or what can I get? Like, because material costs uh, fluctuate more. I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, like your, your, my hard good, my hard goods costs, if I'm sourcing product, a lot of times don't have tons of fluctuation, like month to month, let's say, whereas material costs do have more fluctuation in shorter time periods. So it's like, if you're looking at it and you're saying, oh, what materials, like of all my, all my products, you know, what can I get cheap on the material side now, the materials that we already use, right? Um, or, or how can I improve the efficiency and then essentially buy my, okay, I can get a whole bunch of that material right now and it's on the low end and this other materials on the high end. Well, that actually gives me this much more, right? You know, this, this gives me five or 10 or 20% more uh, on the CAC that will give me the same like net profit on acquiring that. So yeah, I think this is, you know, it's it like as a marketer, like if you can kind of sink your teeth into that, this is probably one of the first things that you're like, oh, wow, this is, I have more levers now, you know, to pull. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. And then, and then like you're saying kind of on the front end too, is like the pricing. So you can like, you can, there's a, there's so many more levers across the board. Um, and even like going deeper into what you're saying, like, okay, I know I have a giant order for this kind of leather, but it's going to take six months. Uh, what do we have to last until then? And that can influence my marketing strategy because it's like, okay, then I know I'm going to launch, you know, X, Y, Z with that leather and I can build a, like, uh, a launch kind of promo schedule up into that. And then I can work my way backwards into what I should be pushing now. And it's, it's all influenced together and working together instead of just like, this is just how it is, make it work, or just being blind altogether to that side of it. Uh, it's yeah. super helpful. Yeah. Talk. Um, so, so moving on from vertical integration a little bit here, like t tell me about some of the other reasons, whether they be moats. I think some of them are moats. Some of them may be things that you guys just do well that aren't necessarily a competitive advantage or an advantage that you have, like that someone couldn't replicate, someone else could do it well too. But talk about some of the other reasons you think range has, because you're not in a non-competitive space, right? Like you're in an accessories, everyday carry space. There's a lot of deep to see brands in this space, you know, um, with working different, I mean, working different angles is a way to put it, but like, you know, that have different USPs. We've worked with multiple kind of hard goods, wallet brands. Um, I mean, this was one of the most popular categories on Kickstarter not that long ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, why do you think range besides the vertical integration aspect, I think that's definitely a big part of it, but besides that, what do you think other reasons are that range has emerged? Yeah, I think, well, like one huge aspect of our business is B2B and wholesale. That's like, and talking to a lot of, you know, like in the D2C space, um, there's like not a ton of talk other than maybe fair, which we're, we're pretty strong on, but it's not our biggest channel. Um, the, and, and some people put like omni channel into that category as well, which you could say, but I, cause you know, we have, uh, when I say wholesale, we have a private label, like we basically do custom hats. So we'll stamp any, like anybody's logo into the hat, into the patch on the hat. Um, and then we have like our stock hats that, 
uh, you know, big box retailers will buy in pallets and, and resell. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I think that's a huge, a huge piece and we can get into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, and then I would say like the biggest kind of on the, on the other side, the biggest USP, like if I look at our post-purchase surveys and all that on, on kind of the front end thing is, is like, we make it here. Like the crafters are right out there. Like if you come to Laramie and you walk into our shop, it's like Krispy Kreme style, look at it, get made. Like you can talk to the people making the stuff. So that's also like a huge, uh, a huge element that like, I've just recently gotten to really put forward on, on the digital side, on the site and in ads, like we're, I'm working with Tarfers and all that good stuff. So I think between those two, like the wholesale and like that we make everything here, it's like, like literally by hand crafting out there. I think those are the two other big pieces that, that we can lean on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a marketing aspect when like I can actually like, well, I will say some of my best performing ads ever have like literally been like phone videos of like the thing being made. If the thing mm -hmm. is made, you know, that like if, if I can, you know, I don't go to China to shoot those. Right. So yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that has to happen here. Um, if the things made here, like those are great, that's like great ad material, which I guess that kind of could be called, you know, yeah, that's another advantage of vertical integration. Eh, maybe, uh, but, but like, yeah, for sure. And then, um, I think the B2B thing is interesting because it's not necessarily, I would say it's a moat of yours, but it's not like it's unattainable, right. Mm -hmm. for, for anyone else. So talk about that a little bit, like what, you know, why, Cause, cause I think, you know, I've said this before, like, look, if you have a retail presence or B2B presence or some kind of, um, marketplace presence that provides like a baseline, a foundation of cash, it makes it easier. Like, you know, people are worried, like, well, won't it, won't it, uh, cannibalize my D2C? Like it might a little bit, for example, Amazon, you know, and I don't know how big you guys are on Amazon. We can get into that, but, uh, Amazon might cannibalize your D2C a little bit, maybe, mm -hmm. but like it's probably worth it to have that foundation of cash. Um, to drive D2C. And ultimately it's like a rising tide rises all ships. So like, yeah, maybe Amazon cannibalizes a little bit or, or B2B cannibalizes a little bit. Uh, but you know, maybe it doesn't. And ultimately it isn't the goal to like drive more sales and profit anyway. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan these days, essentially of having some kind of B2B or Amazon or wholesale cash. So, so talk about how you guys do it. Cause it's not the same. It's not like, you know, it's not like a lot of brands who go to retail stores or go to Amazon, you guys do it a little bit differently. So yeah, like let's chat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think, um, like the hard part to replicate would be the custom side. Um, that's something that like, we just, because we have everything here and we have like the machines, like we bought these like super expensive Kensal machines that like, like just do like they stand, they brand the leather instead of laser it. That's a whole thing. But anyway, aside from that, I think like when you when you think about retail and maybe even like the label of omni channel they're like going into you know I was, I was i listened to a podcast with like chris mead from crossnet recently i'm like get, getting into target getting into these like dick sporting goods and stuff and um those are huge obviously but it's a lot more attainable than a lot of brands think i think um because you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of franchises and brands like box stores that are run you know like their gms run the show and uh like for us uh, a big stem from that like how we achieved getting into whoever was just like 
essentially we went to the Magnolia Silo show um, down in Waco with our hats and all our stuff. And, um, and that's basically where we met, like essentially people buy our hat, the, whoever, the buyer of some brand that we didn't even know, they buy our hat, they wear it for a while, they love it. And they're like, yeah, I wonder if we could sell these. Um, and that's kind of, they just, you know, people reached out. We, we haven't done much cold outreach, but, and we're actually beginning to kind of go down that road. But I think it's like, to zoom back out, it's not as huge of a deal as you think, like get, putting, putting one team member on like, Hey, reach out to, you know, uh, a, a third string box store. And as soon as you get one, like if you get one store, you get a sell through rate, you get, you have all this data and then you can go to the next one and be like, Hey, we're with this person there. You know, here's our minimum quantity and here's kind of the average order and here's the sell through rate. And then it kind of just carries on from there. So I think that's like, it, it's a little bit easier than you might think to just like kick it off and then it, you get the ball rolling from there. Yeah. That, um, and it, I mean, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of an ad in there. I don't do this anymore. Um, I actually used to be the buyer and manager for like what you're talking about, a third string box store, or third, um, not even a third string box store, one, like a one location store. Okay. It's really easy. It would, it's really easy to get your product on my shelf. Uh, if, yeah, if you have some data, um, or if you're doing some marketing or if people have come in and asked for it, or if you just give me good, good terms, all you have to do is give me good terms. Like mm -hmm. I even not on consignment, like obviously, you know, I'll sell stuff on consignment if I have space for it, but like, I'll, I'll even, I'll buy, I'll buy a bulk order. But if you're, if you will have some kind of buyback program or anything like that, that will, you know, Hey, you know, whatever you haven't sold after 90 days or 120 days, I'll buy back half of that or something like that. Um, then yeah, like that it's it's not that hard to get into like local regionals. Um, and then <clears throat> like you said, from there you get data on the sell through rate, or maybe it's not selling and you have to think about, hey, what can we do to to, re to support retail a little bit more? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I agree, you know, going to shows. It, it, the other thing is, yeah, put one team member on it. Like it's just a legwork thing or it's not like there aren't services out there. You know what I mean? Definitely, like if, yeah. if, you, if you just go on Google, you'll find someone who will probably help you get into retail and they probably already have connections, um, you know, with, with buyers at mid, at least mid tier big uh, box stores or mid tier box stores, probably big box stores as well, though it might be hard to get into those when you're not proven yet, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate it. So, so one of the things that I'm going to call out here, a, a pattern I'm noticing as we talk through some of the things that have helped build range leather, or help build range leather is you guys throw fuel on the fire that exists. And this is what I always say, <clears throat> you know, like marketing can't create a fire. Marketing is just fuel. It's gasoline, right? Like if there's no fire, all you have a, is a bunch of like wet logs, right? <laughs> like it's no, it, it doesn't make fire. Um, so, uh, but like, if we've talked like, what have we called out here? We've talked, called out, Hey, the fact that I can have all these optimization levers on vertical integration, um, the fact that we can um, wholesale and go to B2B because we have this customization aspect, it's a little bit easier for us, right? Um, and, and we can stamp like, you know, localized stuff onto our hats. Um, or even like, hey, in our marketing, in our ads, like we can lean into this, this idea of like, look, it's made here. Um, you guys are throwing fuel on the moat, right? Like it's like, hey, this is the moat. This is the thing that we have. This is our big competitive advantage. Everything we do leverages that, 
right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that like when I see brands that really grow and really do well, that's what they do well. They leverage what what it is that makes them them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What keeps you know the unique selling prop, the whole like anything that makes you special, just lean into that. And I mean, it's yeah, like you said, it's it's easier to push that than to try to like force a product that's like the same as everything else. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So and I will call you, you mentioned CrossNet. We had the former marketing director. He's not, he's not with CrossNet anymore. Former marketing director of CrossNet uh, on the, on the podcast, probably, I don't know how many episodes ago now, Casey would know if he hopped in here, but um, yeah, uh, uh, we had him on a couple episodes ago and we actually shot two episodes with him. Um, so yeah, it should be. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks now for sure. It's been a few weeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube and, and you're not watching it live, Casey will probably link that episode. Go watch somewhere. it right now. Woo woo. Um, okay, I want to shift gears a little here a little bit, Tim, because one thing I I think that happens when we when we do these like building a brand podcasts, I try and avoid this, but uh, a lot of times when you like your podcast listener, you hear founders, mark internal marketers, people who've built brands. Like, what is the podcast? It's the highlight reel, right? Like, it's it's basically like, look how awesome we are, um, which I do think you're awesome. I think Range Leather is awesome. Um, but I do want to think talk about, like, what are some of the setbacks you guys have experienced since you've been with Range? Um, and, and you can say, hey, here's how we got past that. Or you can even say, like, you know, we actually haven't figured out, like, that one fully yet. Like, that one's still a struggle. That's always, you know, it's a struggle. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you some struggles I have right now. I mean, one that's not as much marketing related is the material, like getting leather here and getting hardware here. And like, like, uh, you know, we get our leather from Horween in Chicago. It's the one shop that everybody gets their leather from. So they're just, they just run and they're good at leather and they're, you know, like they're working out their business process. So our, our lead times are never accurate there. Um, our hardware is always super far out or like the MOQs are so big that we have to like plan that out. Um, and we're all, we're all pretty much cash flow too. So that's a factor. Um, but so that's one thing. Uh, another thing would be like return customer rate, which is like hilarious. Cause you think like the, they buy this wallet. It literally lasts forever generations. Like they're not buying another wallet. So yeah. I got to cross sell, you know, or like, or come up with new products, which is Kyle's like, that's his wheelhouse. Um, that's why we work well together. He comes out with new products. I do all the nerdy stuff and we, we go, but so there's that, um, that whole thing. And then another kind of broad topic struggle zone for not, not struggle, but just like, a a low, like working on it all the time is our retention. Like we're great because I'm a bread and butter digital marketer. The front end first customer, like uh, customer acquisition side, got it on lock. The retention, bring people back by again, email, SMS, all that, even working CX into it. That's all like slowly building up flows, doing getting the best practices upload, like doing that whole thing. Um, that's also a big top of mind topic for me right now. So I think those are kind of the big three challenges, which happy to dig into more if you want, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's I, 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 when you call called out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit one that is a common one um, and that was CLTV. And, and we've, I've discussed this in various formats with with uh, a different, different founders, but here's something I wanna hit is um, 
here, here's something people wouldn't expect. Like, why is customer lifetime value a, a problem for a brand that knows from their post-purchase customer survey data that people are like, I, hey, I really love that you make this here. You know what I mean? Like, this is really cool. People really enjoy the product. They get it. It lasts forever. Like, you probably get great glowing testimonials. People might post about it, tell their friends about it. Why is customer lifetime value a problem? Right. And, and, and it's because in, in so many, everybody, every brand is trying to crack customer lifetime value now that, you know, acquisition has gotten harder for many. Um, and it's because it's like, well, not all brands really lend themselves to great customer lifetime values. Right. Like not all product categories are, you know, like if I buy, you know, whatever this podcast, mic, like I'm not going and like, I like my Yeti mic, but like <laughs> Yeti owes us money now. Uh, and I love <laughs> Yeti mic, but like, I'm not like, I don't need another one. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that that's, that's it. Like, I don't need more of it. And that, that's so like, yeah, customer lifetime value is going to be a problem um, for a brand like that. So that is something I want to call out because it's like, you have this great brand, people like it. Customer experience isn't the reason you're struggling with that. It's the product category. And so it's like, okay, you know, how do we beat that? We have to come up with new products. We have to come up with new lines that actually do lend themselves to customer lifetime value, apparel lines or hat lines, things like that, um, that actually like people will buy more of, you know? Um, and that's a challenge when your bread and butter has been a product category and that's what sells and that's what like expanding into new product lines and product categories is kind of expensive when they don't sell as well as your core ones. You know what I mean? Like you really like to just focus on those core ones, but that's where you hit the scaling ceilings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I would split out hats because hats is like, people who, that buy hats have like 50 hats and they buy an insane amount of hats. It's great. We love hats. But um, the le and the leather goods is for us is totally a product development game because often someone buys the wallet and they're like, I'm a range fan forever. I will buy everything that I possibly can. And literally we have customers that have literally one of every product that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But then like, and that yeah. has great LTV, but yeah. then we need to keep turning that product uh, wheel to keep them going. So that's kind of been the mentality coming into going into this year is like uh, really ramping up our product development for the sake of the whole, the whole show, like marketing can leverage that, like we can cross sell better, we can upsell better, like, you know, LTV goes up, all that good stuff. So that's definitely a top of mind thing for us. Yeah, other, other challenge here, like that I'll call out on the LTV front is, um, it, you can't help it if you're a brand that people like to get as a gift. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's with LTV, it really is, right? Like if, if, you know, my wife gets it for me, I might love it, it might be a great gift, Maybe she'll get something else from range for me and Valentine's day or father's day, but maybe not like, you know, it's like, she's only getting me a couple gifts a year. Um, and even if I love that gift, it still doesn't like, it, it's hard to build LTV and I'm not the one on your email list. She is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so, so that's, that's another, that's another challenge there, but um, yeah, I'll shift gears here now. So we've talked about some struggles you're having right now. On the, and, and we've talked about some things that range, like makes range range and allows you to grow. What do you think uh, specifically, I mean, the, the podcast a lot of times is about growth, marketing. What are you guys doing well? What's working well for you right now on the marketing side? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, my bread and butter forever. Like I'm a paid social guy and then I branched into Google. Like pretty much we, it's like Facebook and Google. Those are our channels. Um, <laughs> I have like other channels like a try, but like those work. I don't know. Like I, 
even in this like really negative environment, it seems for paid social and just kind of a digital marketing space. It's like, I, because I'm so in the weeds on margins and product and our supply chain, I can dial in our MER and just sit there. And, uh, and then like, for me, the lift isn't so much like, because it's my core skill set, it's not as heavy of a lift on that front. So, and that kind of goes back to the email stuff is like, that's where I'm growing and building teams and stuff like that. Um, so, you, you know, and I could go into tactics for days on that, but no one tactic is going to work like across the board. I mean, I'm using the stuff that's working for me is like none of the stuff you see on Twitter. It's like all mm-hmm. this weird interests, single images, like old school 2017 buying is like still just jamming for me. So I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, single limit, like it's just sometimes it's more clear what's working and what isn't when you see yeah. like, I think the this- bigger deal is the value props. I think that's what makes the difference. Like, I've really dialed those in by product line, and that's it, doesn't really matter the format as much as like what you know, what are people identifying with? So, well, like, and and yeah, if we are going to get into the weeds on this, right? Like, it, you, we're talking Facebook when we're talking interests, like. I think sometimes when you're split up more, you're more like fragmented in your ad account, which is what everybody says not to do now. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe it's not as effective as if you had like a more consolidated structure. Um, but also it is a little bit clearer a lot of times like what's working and what isn't. So sometimes it, I think you get better at allocating spend. So so what you might make up for in gained efficiency from the algorithm, you you actually gain something in, in out like, allocating your budget correctly. Um, so I don't know, this is a little bit of a uh, theory. I mean, we do it, like you said, nothing works. Just gotta test everything, man. I mean, just like, see on yeah. Twitter, make a list, roll it out, see what happens, move on, you know, keep it, doing that. Every, a lot of our ad accounts look very different. Like we got, my number one rule is always do what the ad account likes, you know? So mm-hmm. um, I do, I will say this though, that you hit on and, and it's something that's working for us across the board as well. As you said, like, Hey, we're Facebook and Google. Like, yeah, we got other channels working too. We're, we're, we're putting more and more into TikTok. Um, it's definitely not playing with those yet. Right. Like we're talking about across the board, maybe 10% of our overall budget going into TikTok, Right. Um, and then Snapchat, Pinterest, others making up even less than that. Uh, but I've, I tweeted this and it was like one of my less popular tweets probably because it, it referenced some obscure NBA players. But I said, hey, man, Facebook and Twitter is like Stockton and Malone. Like it just they work really well together, you know, um, and and so it's like or not Facebook and Twitter. Sorry, Facebook and Google. Facebook and Google's like Stockton. Oh, geez. Yeah, they, they just they work really well together and they like dial those two channels in that's one of the biggest wins we've had of 2021 22 is getting good at ma- media mixing because you used to just be able to scale on facebook right like mm-hmm. who cares about <laughs> scale this up but um yeah no i mean we've got to put one other channel in now and uh but yeah i mean google does really high returns a lot of the time Google's even in google for me it's unconventional like performance yeah. max for days just works. I don't know, man. This is fine. Yeah. It works for me. I'm good with it. <laughs> well, thank you for being on our podcast, Tim. John, thank you for setting up these interviews as always. Modern Commerce, thank you for watching. Um, if you watch this far into it, please go ahead and drop a like onto the video. Um, leave us a comment. Do all the good things you're supposed to do. Hit the bell icon to get notifications so you don't miss any of our videos when they get uploaded. Subscribe to the channel. That tells YouTube that people are liking us and it shows 
uh, our videos to the right kind of people on YouTube more naturally. So please go ahead and do all those things. And as always, until next time, we'll see ya. Hey, ModCom, this episode was brought to you by Pencil. I'm a creative strategist at the agency that John and I work at. If you happen to be a creative strategist or you're just having a hard time rolling out enough new creatives for testing, then I have the perfect solution for you. It's trypencil.com. Over at Pencil, the AI will help you determine what your best performers are. It'll even break it down into what elements of those best performers are helping making those ads go. And it'll also take those elements and create whole new ads for you to push live straight from their platform right over to Facebook and IG. So go to trypencil.com if you want to use this and use the promo code modcom15 to save 15% off of any paid plan they have over there. You can always start with a free plan. Uh, go ahead. Actually, I recommend it even, but we're confident you're going to want to upgrade as soon as you try it out. So just remember to go to trypencil.com, use the promo code modcom15 to save 15% off of any plan. And thank you for tuning into Modern Commerce.